This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. It is a great privilege to be sitting here with none other than Professor Michael McMullen. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, it's fantastic to see you. For how long are you back in the UK? Um, I uh, fly back tomorrow. Uh-huh. So I've been here for 10 days. Uh-huh. Excellent. Now, people have heard your voice on the excellent This Week in Church History podcast, which you do from your base at what seminary in America? Um, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh And for how long have you been living there? Um, 23 years. Now, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Hull. Uh Um, I was uh, born there in 1960. Uh, I left as a, a young adult and uh, moved around a, a little. I was uh, I worked in the fire brigade in Hull. Then I was a nurse in Salisbury, and then I, I trained as a high school te- teacher in uh, Scotland. So it's been quite an interesting journey that God has uh, took me on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you come from from Hull. I do from Hull, where yes. of course Wilberforce came from. Yes. Yes, and and we would visit his house, the museum, um, with school, and um, you know I, I knew him to be an abolitionist and and interesting and and but that was it really. Mm, striking. Um, so, and and do you do you think he came from Hull or from Hull? He came from Hull, <laughs> um, and, and but. I think from the different places I've lived, my accent is totally um, <laughs> messed up. Um, yes, it's a uh, your your R's, your R's. Right. You would, someone might think you were from Ireland because of your R's. Oh, interesting. And and you see, my dad was Scottish. He oh, was from Glasgow. Oh, really? And and his dad was from Ireland. Oh, so. Really? Um, you know, it, it's not that generationally removed, let's say, maybe. That's superb. Yes, McMullen, one should have guessed. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so my brother currently is uh, working on a family tree, and uh, he's looking at all the Irish relatives and those who emigrated to America. Um, and, and so I followed them, but maybe 100 years later or... Uh, even longer than that, maybe. So would you, from Hull, would you go up to Glasgow to see family at Christmas? Yes, yes. So you know your way around Glasgow, huh? Um, I don't know now, maybe. Uh, Maybe it's changed some, but I I knew Glasgow better, say, than Edinburgh. Uh Um, Oh, really? Uh So on the rivalry, that would be... Yes, (laughs) yes. And and my dad was from a a fairly um, challenging part of Glasgow, too, so... um, Oh, really? When was it you came to understand the gospel yourself? Yeah, I was uh, 16. Um, it was in July 1976. I remember the um, the heat wave and the drought of that year. And and there were some students from Sweden who were working in, in a church where my sister was a believer, and, and they were on a mission. And, and I would help them hand out tracts and invite people to the church and um, and, and not know Christ myself. And my sister had witnessed to me, and and I really believed there was a God. I think I always knew there was, even as a young child, uh, but didn't know him for myself. Um, and uh, in 1976, I saw these uh, young students and, and saw in them 
the truth of Christ lived out. So the joy and the peace and the hope, and I wanted that for myself. And uh, I was in a church service, and uh, suddenly the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I was totally made aware of, of my sin and my separation from God. And I remember just running to the front desperate. To, to know him for myself. Gosh, it was, and this is in 76. Was your sister older or younger? She was older, yeah. So, And you had a brother as well? So. Yeah, I've got, uh, I was one of six. I was the youngest oh, of six. Gracious me. Uh, so I was the uh, the favoured one, um, uh, not by my siblings, but my, <laughs> but by my mother especially. Oh, that's sweet. We've had seven, but our youngest oh. is, uh, we, our first died when he was a baby. Oh. So we now have six. But yes, I, I can... I can acknowledge that the youngest has a certain he has a certain relationship with the family. That'd yeah, be. I think I was a, a, a little of a surprise too. Uh-huh. I think they thought the childbearing uh, days were over, but God had other plans. So. Very good, excellent. And that was up in Hull, seventy six. Now, did you did you start to attend that, or you were already attending the church? Well, I was um, actually converted in Salisbury, where my sister uh, lived, and and then went back to Hull. I got in touch with a, a local church and started to attend there, and had Christian friends. And I had to apply to go back to uh, high school because even though I'd uh, not found school difficult, uh, the subjects I found school difficult. So I was often in trouble for mischief or let's just say being bored in class or something. And and so I just intended to leave school at 16, but now I was converted and had to go back to the headmaster and ask if I could go back to actually work on some qualifications. And he said, why on earth would you come back? Uh, you had no interest when you were here previously. And so I told him, of my conversion, and he started to to cry, and he'd been praying for me for years. Gracious. And of course, I never knew, so we prayed together, and I I went back and stayed on and uh, did air levels, and and, uh, so even there, it just showed me how much God was at work. Extraordinary thing. Yes. And uh, was he a part of the church that you attended? No, no. That was my only knowledge of him as a Christian um, in that school, so that's so encouraging for people who are who are school teachers, especially in the yes environment which we presently are with such extraordinary hostility to believers. Uh, we uh, talked with Gary Williams, the uh, uh, theologian and church historian, on the podcast here. He talked about how his his uh, he did A level hmm. uh, RE, I yes, guess, and his uh, his teacher had them go through John's Gospel. Mm. And through um, Bainton on Luther. Oh, yes. <laughs> he said, hey, yes. That's a potent mate. <laughs> yes. yes. And then uh, Gary responded to Christ consequently. And then he told me that some years, decades, I guess, later, he was teaching in a day, and the teacher who led that was listening to him teaching. Ah. Uh, a sweet, yeah. sweet little uh, story. But uh, so you were there in Hull, and then what did you go and read at university? I, um, I, I, I felt an almost immediate call. To, to ministry. I didn't know in what form that would be. I just had a real sense 
that God wanted me in America. I was a 16-year-old. I just had no idea what that would mean. I only knew that he wanted for me to pursue the, the highest education I could. That I had that real sense. And, and so um, I didn't want to go to university straight away, even as an 18-year-old, because if I was in ministry, I, I wanted experience of the real world first. Mm. And, and so that's why... Um, I took uh, the job with the, the fire brigade and, and worked there in Hull. Then I moved to Salisbury and changed careers, really, and started to nurse for a few years. And then from there, uh, went to Aberdeen. And, and I began with a Bachelor in Divinity. So I, I did a Bachelor's and a Master's in Aberdeen. Um, I won a scholarship in Scotland to pursue a PhD, and, and got accepted to go to Oxford to do that. But when I saw the accommodation in Oxford for, we, you know, we had children by that time, um, I didn't feel that that would be the, the right thing to do to my family. Just the university accommodation just wasn't great, let's say. So I stayed in Aberdeen mm. and did a PhD there and too. And was that with Torrance or Marshall? Who was yeah, I mean, uh, Tor- they were both there, um, but... Um, the uh, church history man who who really encouraged me throughout my studies was uh, a man called Henry Sefton, a uh, Church Scotland minister, and, and he really was a mentor and a great encouragement. I, I was very thankful for him um, and, and really for all that he did for me. Lovely. And what did you focus on for your, um, your postgraduate? I, uh, I worked on Jonathan Edwards. And so I worked on uh, mainly his unpublished manuscripts. So Mm. I would spend time at Yale and in Aberdeen. Uh, And it was wonderful being able to go over there and stay at Yale and and, uh, work at the Beinecke Library. And and I think that's where my kind of academic writing career uh, took hold because most of my life has been devoted in, in writing to the recovery of, of, you know, some of the manuscripts from Christian giants and, and, and seeking to publish them, and, and really from right across our heritage as believers. So, uh, the Wesley family, Robert Murray McShane, William Chalmers Burns, uh, Jonathan Edwards, Wilberforce. Um, so, it, it, it's been, you know, deciphering and transcribing and, and mm. publishing those. Gracious. So did you have did you have to take classes that learn about paleography and uh, handwriting? No, I'm I'm self taught. So, hey? Yeah, but you must be something of an expert now. Um, <laughs> it, it's been trial and error, and and it really is true. The more you do it, right. um, if you find you're able to do it, then the easier it does become. Right, right. Although, you know, people say about Jonathan Edwards' Edwards's handwriting, it was like a spider that crawled into an inkwell and, and just walked across the paper. Right, right. Um, really, with him, that's very true. Right. So you have, in a sense, to know him and his priorities to be able to intuit what words might be. And yes. Yeah, that, re- that really helps. Right, right, yes. right, right, right. And now, how did you first become introduced to Edwards? Um, I saw a book on a shelf um, in in the library in Aberdeen, and uh, it was in the Church of Scotland Library, and it said the works of President Edwards. 
And I just thought, why, why do we have books in a divinity library by an American president? It didn't really make sense to me. So that I, I didn't think any more of it until Jonathan Edwards was mentioned in some of my undergraduate lectures. And suddenly I could see those books on that shelf. I thought, I bet that's the same Edwards. Uh, I didn't know what the president Edwards referred to at the time. So I went straight back to the library, pulled the books off the shelf, started to read and, and uh, was immediately enthralled uh, with Edwards. Mm, yes. Well, this, he is luminous, isn't he? Yes. It's, it's a strike. Yes. Striking that, as you say, the um, President Edwards there, because yes. apparently they say for the next generations after he died, he was always known as President yes. Edwards. And choosing the name for the, I run the Jonathan Edwards Twitter feed, okay. I thought, shall I call him Prez Edwards? But the irony is no one would now call no, him that. No, <laughs> and And such, for such a short space of time, yes. but maybe the respect, the honour, the right. position, maybe yes. that's why I... You tend to think, don't you? Yeah, because of his, his actual ministry in the church and then his subsequent ministry seemed to have been marked by challenge and yes. by... by, uh, by uh, trial. And yes. So, and so it's lovely that he will have been known as president. Though he right. was only there for 11 months, I think. Yes. Although uh, he did teach at Yale, didn't he? He did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and you you published the, it's funny, I was talking to Dustin Benge about your, um, yes. your uh, the public, the, 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 the sermons of Edwards that you have published. And we were joking about the fact that they are called the unpublished sermons. Yes. And, and that, you know, it should be maybe the previously unpublished <laughs> yes, sermons. Yes. And it's the same with the work on Wilberforce, you know, the yeah. unpublished spiritual journals. Well, I suppose they are the unpublished spiritual journals, but yeah. not anymore or something. Yeah. Now, listen, this, is a, this, this raises an interesting question. Just Dustin Benj, I was talking with him the other day. He said, Ian Murray said to him, reading Owen, he said, just try a page per day. Mm -hmm. A page oh, per yes. day. And when... Ian Murray says that. Yes. When mm -hmm. he says a page per day, you think, well, I could manage a page per day. Yes. Now, what would you say on, on, on reading? Do you, how, did you find, as you say, Edward's sermons, they kind of jump off the page and they are, they bless your soul. Right. And I, I, I have to read them every day. Poor me. You know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but uh, have you always found these, uh, these greats accessible? And how, how, what do you say about reading them? I think it depends what of, of, some of these people you are reading. The sermons are good um, to read, I think, um, if you're able to read the whole sermon. So, you are, you are reading as if you're listening to that person yes. preach. Now, of course, what we don't get, and, and it's the same with Edwards, it's the same with McShane and, and the others, especially with the sermons, um, you have the written record, but, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one who brought those messages alive to people and, and convicted people and, and awakened people through the words. Um, so, you know, the Holy Spirit can do that through the sermons too, as you read. But, um, you know, they, they can not carry the same force maybe as they would have in the midst of the revival. Um, so, you know, I would encourage people to read the whole sermon, but with Edwards, um, with some of his great works, Edwards assumes you know as much as he does, you know, whether it's theologically or, or philosophically. 
And, you know, frankly, I don't. Mm -hmm. Others may. Mm -hmm. So a page a day or a page at a time probably would be a very good thing because so much of what he says has so much within that that it might be good uh, to meditate on a smaller section. Yes. You know, Edwards especially spoke so much of the beauty of God and what heaven was Mm -hmm. and, and to dwell on those things and, and allow God to, to speak into our soul through these things. Uh, you know, what an incredible opportunity we have through these things they've left us. I mean, sound the tube coming here this morning. I looked at all the people sat opposite, maybe eight people in, in on the seats in a line in front of me. Every single one of them was buried deep within their iPhones, I mean. And it's as if we need to fill our lives with something. Mm. So almost we don't get distracted by other things, maybe supernatural especially. So we just fill our lives with something. Well, Mm. how great to fill our lives with something where God is there through the words and and ministering and and challenging and speaking to us. Uh, Being quiet, you know. Mm. We, we, we we want something that will make us overflow with praise. Yes, yes, wonderful. <laughs> I saw someone talk about going to a football match the other day, and he said, uh, 20,000 people cheering is loud. Yeah. He says, what would it be? You know, I think he said that Cristiano Ronaldo was playing. Yes. He said, what would it be? Yes. The man who defeated death for yes. salvation. The, the, the applause. We want something which is worse Praising, and we're yes. looking for it in videos. We're yes. looking for it in these things. Yeah. What you have discovered also in the later sermons, I hear it said, and I'd be interested to hear if you have thought of this or heard of this. I have heard that it is said. I heard it from Tim Keller. He said that the first two volumes, the published Banner of Truth volumes mm-hmm. of, uh, of Edwards, were published by descendants of Edwards who were somewhat biased towards a some a, 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 a somewhat harsh uh, a strain in Edwards. Whereas Edwards himself, later in life, reflected that the sinners in the hands of an angry God, he said the lasting fruit of that right. was negligible. Yes. And he stopped preaching to scare people so yeah. much as to preach to the beauty. What, what are your observations of that? Yeah, I, I believe that's, that's a pretty accurate uh, portrayal of things. His sermon at Enfield was created for a, a specific group of people who were not responding to the awakening. Uh-huh. And, and so it was crafted in such a way, yeah, to frighten them, but with the sense of this could be their last day. This is their last opportunity, possibly. You know, God in the Great Awakening may be moving on and Enfield field would be left behind um, and and so you know there is a great deal of challenge and being brought before god but that image really doesn't reflect for me jonathan mm. edwards's mm. sermons generally right and and i think one of the reasons i wanted to look afresh at edwards's unpublished manuscripts and sermons was because they had been very selective in what had been published. Right. And did that reflect the Edwards in all the countless manuscripts that we have that were unpublished? And it, I don't believe it really did. I believe they were selected for a purpose. 
Uh, well, that's, that's striking. Because, of course, you've done us a great service by publishing what was previously unpublished. Would you say that we are getting, in the unpublished service, we're getting mature Edwards? Yes. You, you have an Edwards who has reflected on what God did through the revivals, uh, what he believed was you know, of emotion and what was of God. And and now he can see God moving in ways that he believes is true. And it's a mature reflection of who he believes God is and, and what is important about living as a Christian right. and, and looking to heaven wow. and being filled with God and, and allowing him to use us, being well, open. This, this is because that's the, of course, that is the analysis that you get in the religious affections. Yes. So when he's preaching, he's seen how these variables fell out. Yes. He's had the experience of seeing Whitfield preach. He's yes. seen vast numbers, but now he's not just saying, oh, I've, he's, he's not making uh, stale observations. Right. He's saying, therefore. Yes. So those final unpublished sermons, although they're jolly hard to get in this country. <laughs> oh, they are. <laughs> Very helpful indeed. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. And um, oh, I'd love to dwell on that more, but let's move on a little. So, uh, heroes of church history, of course, we've talked on, on Edwards there. You talked about Thomas Chalmers Burns, is that right? Yeah, Will, William Chalmers Burns. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the first book I was given as a believer was, um, you know, The Memoir and Remains of Robert Murray McShane. Oh, wonderful. And... I was a bit uh, worried about opening it because remains of somebody, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what I was expecting um, as a new believer, but, um, you know, it became so precious to me. And as a new Christian, I thought all Christians would actually be like this, that we live for God in, in such a, a sense that we put God first, that we meet with him in the morning before we set eyes on anyone else, that, um, you know, we're known as, as winsome because Christ is in us. And uh, I think it was something of a shock to realize that we're all struggling, maybe uh, some better than others, to, to achieve that in our own lives. Um, and, and so, William Burns became the kind of stand-in for McShane when he went to the Holy Land, when he wasn't ill. And, and both of them saw incredible revival. Yes. Um, and, and Burns especially yes. is really the one um, that God used in Scotland in, in revival. And and then he goes off as a pioneer, pioneer missionary to China, meets Hudson Taylor, uh, adopts the Chinese dress. Uh, Hudson Taylor says, you know, a year with Chalmers Burns is better than several years in seminary, that kind of thing. So Wonderful. they had, you know, they're arrested, put in prison together. So both of them to me are just incredible heroes. Yes. Um, and he was, again, someone, Burns was someone with an, with an ongoing appetite yes. for Christ, yes, which uh, which is straight out straight out of the Bible. You think why is why does no one else talking? Yes, this? <laughs> and and you know when uh, McShane was was going to go to the Holy Land because he wasn't well, uh, his concern was his people and and who he would leave to minister to them, mm. and and when he requested that it be William Burns, his kind of elders were a bit shocked because this man was not a parish minister. Uh, he was young, 
Um, and, and But McShane was certain this would be the one that God would want in his pulpit. So Wonderful. Are there others who have been uh, people who have inspired you particularly? A whole host. I mean, obviously, for the last 13 years, I've lived and, and breathed with Wilberforce. And, oh. and he's become the one I know the closest and, and the most convicting in a Christian way. Um, McShane, certainly, God used to convict me as a young man, but God has used Wilberforce in my life in incredible ways more recently. His humility, his sense of being so sinful and, and not being able to be that which God wants him to be and to achieve abolition through him and, and all these different things. And he's so worried that it won't happen because um, he's such a, a fallen man, even as a believer. And, and as I've worked on his manuscripts, I keep trying to tell him that you know, actually, it's you're not that bad. You know, it, it's and and he doesn't listen though. And, and, and then, of course, it it turns as a mirror on my own life. So yes, you do find he he was no slouch when it came to study. He would quote Owen and uh, Edwards and so on. Yeah, he loved Jonathan Edwards, which of course is an, another wonderful thing yes. for me. Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, certainly love the Puritans. Uh, you go through his library and hole and see what he possessed and, and you read through the books that he names in his diaries and journals. It's, it's incredible what he did read. And have you managed to look through his actual books in Hulla? No, um, they have them on display and they have a list of, of what is in his library. And, and so being able to see what he possessed. Now, we don't know uh, how many more he had. It, it's the library that was passed down to his children and, and now has returned to the library. But certainly in, in what he mentions, uh, the Puritans were amongst his favourites. So. Yes, and but you haven't been able to see this, his underlinings. And no, his, and, and what a, you know, I need another life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, one project I would love to do is to go through the books and his underlinings yeah. and see see what he wrote, especially in the family Bible. But well, this is it. I, I run the um, Wilberforce Twitter page, mm. and I absolutely, I just rejoice and delight daily to put, putting up quotes from his, his private letters yes. and from his journals where he's putting up comments about yes. uh, today. I'm, uh, he, he, as you say, he is, he does have this sense of his own uh, sinfulness. Yes, and uh, but he, but then he turns to Christ. I have concerns sometimes with characters like John Newton, who seems to think that he will find Christ in the slough right. of despond. And yes. I think that, yes, he does come mm-hmm. in, but I don't think necessarily. Right. I, don't, I think he calls us, Jesus went through the slough. Yes. And he rose. Yes. Um, and yet you see with Wilberforce, where he sees that, he says, let me turn to Christ. Yes. You see that quite consistently. Yes. And I love to draw attention to that, not least because... He's a man who changed the world. Yes. And frankly, you know, you, you tend to think a guy who's going to change the world, well, he'll be very effective. And mm-hmm. he wouldn't have those sort of things wrong. Right. Oh, but he's, all the biographers, they, they trip over themselves. They, yes. They seem to, Pollock seems to be quite confused how, how <laughs> Wilberforce was so effective. Yes. And, and that's the thing. I mean, Wilberforce was certainly aware of his own shortcomings and uh, of his own sinful behavior. Um, 
you know, as minimal as that was, mm-hmm. in at least in what he reveals, and and certainly. Um, he he never believed he was writing his journals or his diaries for publication. Right. So they're very open and honest. He gave strict instructions for them to be burnt oh, really? on his death. Wow. They were only ever to be read at first by his wife, um, but then he did uh, leave them to his son Robert. So there was the intention maybe that his son would read them, but publication, no. Mm. So w- what you read is his own record of his relationship with God. Yes. Um, he, 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 his sense of using it as, you know, confessional, really. Mm. That brings me on to the, uh, to the subject of this extraordinary publication you've recently put out, as well as serving the church by drawing attention to previously unpublished sermons of Edwards. You have been behind the publication of a book which I, to my astonishment, got to put an endorsement on, when I, without hesitation, says it's one of the most important books to be published in the last 10 years because you have been behind the republic or the publication for the first time of Wilberforce's private spiritual journals, which they, as, as I say, they draw your attention to, um, um, as you put it, a man's relationship with God. And I would say they are particularly thrilling and potent because they're so familiar. Yes. Because each believer knows, Yes. I wish I was further on. Yes, it's our struggle, isn't it? This is it. it, it it's not a man who's made it with God. He believes he's at stage one, um, and, and that's where I am so often. Uh, so when I read this, you know, I'm reading you know, the life and the footsteps of a man I can relate to. Um, and, and yet that's William Wilberforce. Yes, that's it. And that is so useful, apart from anything else, it's useful apologetically. Yes. Because he's a guy who didn't, he didn't make his coin from the church. Right. And therefore, you can't get cynical and say, yes. well, we would say that, he gets his money from this. It must be, there must be another motive. Could it be that it's true? Yes. Yeah, and, and he's not writing a book uh, he's not writing an account of his life. It's not an autobiography. Um, it's, you know, it's the record of his walk with God and and um, how often he believes he's failed God and, and will God keep using him? How could he possibly when he so often, you know, lets go of God? Uh, he's not holy. So it, it, it's those things which resonate as mm. true. Yeah, extraordinary. Um, Did you know there was, um, who was it? I, I read of someone who remarked on sitting down in a place where there was Wilberforce. And of course, he's five foot three, little slight guy. He's got his back problems. And, and he was just, it's like the, uh, there's a little statue of, of Wesley next yes. to St. Paul's. He was five foot three also. Right. And actually, was Wilberforce five three or five five? Uh, no, I mean he could well have been less than five three. Right, so between got, five and five three. And this guy was saying he was just reflecting the extraordinary significance of this man, and he looked so unimpressive. I mean, I, I had the incredible privilege a few years ago of taking a group of Chinese pastors on a tour through London's church history. Yes. And again, if you looked at them, you wouldn't look twice. You'd think they were just regular tourists. Yes. I am told that between them, they oversee a million Chinese Christians. Yes. But they were intrigued. They wanted to hear London's stories, which is very, very yes. which is very striking. But when Wilberforce, there was a time when Wilberforce, um, uh, he walked into a room where Charles Wesley was. Have you heard the story? 
I think so. Yeah, apparently he walked in and he saw Wesley, and uh, apparently Wilberforce just simply broke down in tears mm. when he saw this great man yes. who had, of course, who, whose, whose heart, devotion, whose gifting, and uh, whose mm. words had inspired, who knows, countless hundreds yes. of thousands of millions to worship. Right. And this, uh, this has touched such a deep mm. strain in Wilberforce. And you think... The moment when two great yes. church history, it's like nitrogen yes. and glycerin. Yes. <laughs> I burst into tears. Yeah, and how many of these people were contemporaries? Yes. Uh, the things that God did through different individuals at that time affecting the world, mm. just incredible to yes. me. Yes, indeed. And also, strikingly, uh, many of them would not be welcome even now. No, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I think if some of them got up and tried... They would not be invited in. No. <laughs> yes, that's right. None of them was a. Uh, they were not gilded in mm-hmm. that sense. Yes, they were. Uh, they had a. They had a certain edge. Yes, light of history. You could say, well, it was because they were saying, oh, "I count it rubbish, mm-hmm. but I might gain Christ." Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and with that message, you'll never be friends with the world. This is it. Yes, and in the case of so many, such as Whitfield, not even friends with many of the church. No, that's right. Yeah. So um, now, uh, to, now I will mention it again. The podcast on which you appear regularly is an outstanding podcast. This week in church history, and uh, it's a real gift because you're you're chatting with your friend whose name I can't remember now. Yeah, John Mark Yates. John Mark Yates. Yes, and uh, it's be- perfect, excellently produced, but very informative, and uh, but also uh, quite inspiring because, of course, you're showing you're you're bringing this what happened this week. In our history. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, and what we're trying to do is, I mean, we're both historians, but, um, you know, my whole life has been spent in in trying to, um, I think, show from history how it affects us today. So yes. there is a message there. Yes. And and we learn from those who've gone before. And, and they are there as this great cloud of witnesses they're incredible gifts to us um in in living for christ today so we try and and make it not not just you know history for the sake of history yes. but but a, a message to us about what it means to live as a believer mm. now as yes. as they did then that's right uh, because it's the same god and it's the yes. same spirit and it's yeah. it's the same gospel that's right. If Christ is our life, as Colossians says, well, they're probably he's been the life of some people who yes. before us. Can we learn anything from them? That's well, that, that that goes to the heart of why you publish these books, isn't it? Because yes. you're wanting to build up the church in our time. But you're doing that in um, MBTS. Yes, MBTS. <laughs> MBTS. Yes, Midwestern. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, can I just? I've just there's one part I've missed out. How was it you ended up there? Because you studied at Aberdeen, you did the church history. How did you end up in uh, MBTS? Yeah, and as I said earlier, you know, I, I sensed this call to America as a teenager. I applied to 120 different institutions in America, um, believing that, um, you know, I was pursuing God's call and trying to find the particular place where he'd have me. And I have a big file at home with all the rejection letters. So, I couldn't quite quite work that out. And uh, and then suddenly, you know, I was a Baptist pastor in Kirkintillich in Scotland. And and one day the phone rang. And let's just say it wasn't the best day of, of my experience as a pastor. And so I wasn't in the best mood. And uh, I looked, you know, I picked it up 
and uh, you know, hello, is that Michael McMullen? I said, yes. Yeah, this is the you know president of Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City. Uh, I understand that you may be open to coming to teach in America. And I thought it was one of my friends putting on an American accent, and I, it didn't. You know, I just wasn't in the best place, and I was about to ask who it was, and and not not be very nice. And I looked at the caller ID on the phone. All it said was international, and uh, that put a whole different uh, you know complexion on things. And I said, "Who is this again? And where are you?" And he explained, and uh, I told him I was open very much to coming, and. Um, and about a month later, I went over and uh, moved my whole family later that year. But um, what it was, somebody had come across my name um, and uh, they knew I, I taught church history and uh, they'd heard about my call and God used that. And so uh, they were looking for an evangelical in church history. And so that's the, the long story short, but it was just uh, after all my trying to get there, then suddenly, you know, the door is open for me to go there. Well, so, there you go. Mm-hmm. And that, that, must have been, that must be of some help. Yes. Yeah. I mean, God might tell us something, but he doesn't always give us all the details. Yes. And when he opens the door, you think, that's helpful when yes. there's a challenge later. Yes, on. that's right. That's wonderful. Excellent. So, and uh, is there anything else to which you are up presently, apart from the excellent podcast you're teaching? What's up? Now the book is finished. <clears throat> I'm now working with John Coffey, a professor in Leicester, and Mark Smith in Oxford, and, and John Wolfe at uh, Open University. We're working on uh, all the diaries now of Wilberforce. So his diaries are unpublished too. And uh, we we imagine this will be about 12, possibly 15 volumes uh, published. It's going to be published by Oxford. We imagine maybe seven years. So we'll... I chose his journals because of the, the mm. spiritual impact of them and the message. But his diaries do include, you know, spiritual content. But again, there's much more of his day-to-day life, people he met, places he went. So it will help to put the journals into context. Mm. So we will publish everything together. And again, it, it will be about a million words. So. Precious me. But I, I think that will be a wonderful thing. Mm. And and it's it's a, been a terrible thing. These have not been published before. Mm. Um, but now some of the leading historians of the 18th and 19th century in Britain um, are working on this. And, and I'm just... You know, so glad to be a part of that too. Oh, so wonderful. Yes, Kevin Belmonte was saying when he arrived at, I think Gordon Conwell, and he had someone spoke on Wilberforce for the first time. He said, "Why have I not heard of yes. this man? I've yes. heard of Lincoln and yes. Gandhi, but why have I not heard of?" And you think that these journals, apart from anything else, I guess, I guess one of the useful things about Wilberforce is his he was conspicuously gracious yes. in politics. So yes. he would he would get down from giving a speech in the Commons, and yes. a, and an opponent would set up and say. Well, again, we've heard Mr. Wilberforce, and as usual, we don't know on what side. Yeah, we don't know where he is. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's, that's the thing about Wilberforce, that um, everything that he achieves, both abolition and, and the reformation of society, um, and yet his diaries are unpublished. Strange. Um, with, with everyone he met and yes. everyone he corresponded with. And I think it's been pretty deliberate. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's because he's an evangelical, I'm, I'm certain of it. Uh-huh. 
and and so that will be remedied uh, in the coming years. I think it'll be um, a, a wonderful treasure both for academics and for Christians because again we'll see more yeah. of his spiritual walk. Yes, but also we'll see the. Uh, the, to use the term the warts and all you see yes. a person yes and that is the uh, when, when we're giving the walks and tours in the city and even when you're looking in the bible you see warts and all yes and that's where it actually becomes useful yes because <laughs> if you talk about this perfect fellow who wandered in yes and then the world changed i yes. can't relate to that right but when you see a, a fellow and you see up close and you see his despondency and you see his mm-hmm. uh, his discouragement you even see a- areas where he may have erred right it's useful it's useful encouraging to a person uh, Michael, this sounds quite um, maybe austere, but what advice would you give to people to listen, listening to this? You're someone who has felt God call you to another nation. You have moved there. You have uh, read deeply into these people, and you've done it that you might serve God in the gospel. What kind of advice would you give to people? Never give up. I think that's the biggest thing I learned from Wilberforce, that um, you know, in spite of mistakes we make, uh, in spite of regrets we'll have. Look at all the examples in Scripture of people who were not perfect, who didn't walk the path as well as they should have. Um, and we are going to fail, and we are going to trip up and, and fall. But God is faithful, and uh, he will keep us, and... Uh, he is there, and he's the one who's called us. Uh, he'll he'll never let us go. And follow him, listen to him. Just you know, seek him in his word, and seek his face often. Put him first as much as as we can in in such a busy, demanding world. Really, mm. that's wonderful. Hey, thank you so much for your time with us, Michael, and thank you for those thoughtful words. And again. It's called This Week in Church History. Thank you, <laughs> yes. But I also encourage anyone to pick up the previously unpublished uh, sermons of Edwards and the newly published spiritual yep. journals yeah. of William Wilberforce. Thank yeah. you, Michael. Thank you so much. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast and for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org.